0: Baltic Podcast, Lietuva. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the second ever Deep Baltic podcast, and the first focusing exclusively on the subject of Lithuania. My name's Will Moorhoods, I'm the editor of Deep Baltic, and today we're in Kaunas, where I'm joined by two locals, either native or adopted, um, We decided to focus on Kaunas today rather than uh, Vilnius, which is the capital of Lithuania, for a few reasons. Uh, Mostly because it's a very interesting place. Uh, A few things Kaunas is noted for. um, The second biggest city in Lithuania, the fourth biggest city in the Baltic states in general. um, A de facto capital of Lithuania between... 1920 and 1939, and also increasingly recognized as a center of modernist and art deco architecture in central and eastern Europe. Historically, also a very, very important uh, Jewish center. Um, We're going to be talking about all of those to some extent during the podcast. Um, I'm now going to introduce the two guests who I'm joined by today uh, Richard Schofield and Jovinus Rinchelis. First, we'll go over to Richard. Richard, could you tell us quickly? what you do, who you are, why you're in Kaunas.
1: Hello, Will. Um, Well, let me see now. Uh, I'm here today, really, to talk to you about my position as the director of an NGO called the International Centre for Litvak Photography, a Litvak being a Lithuanian Jew. Um, I've been living in Lithuania for almost 17 years. I'm a photographer by trade and profession, um, and that's about all I've got to say on the matter.
0: Okay. All right. Thanks very much, Richard. So we'll go back to you in just a moment. But um, first, I'd like to go over to my second guest, uh, Giovanes Rengseles. Giovannes, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Okay. I will. I will try to introduce myself. So uh, at the moment, I'm working uh, as a team member of uh, Conans 2022. Uh and I'm responsible for the heritage uh, program in this uh, big project.
0: Okay, fantastic. That was something, in fact, I meant to mention in my introduction, but I entirely forgot, which is that, um, of course, Kaunas has been uh, awarded the title of European City of Culture for 2022. Um, So people in the city are currently preparing events um, for that year. So um, that's something we're going to talk on Talk about uh, at length in the second part of the podcast, um, but first we're going to go back to Richard and um, talk a little bit about his work here in Kaunas on uh, Lithuania's Jewish heritage. Um, I wanted to talk first of all about the uh, project that we featured on Deep Baltic uh, a few months ago. I think back in October, which is called uh, Back to Shul. Back is to that correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. Which is um, if anyone hasn't, uh, if anyone listening hasn't seen these, uh, this this photo essay and this project. It's a really, really fascinating project that I would recommend you take a look at. But um, Richard, first of all, could you introduce this project? What was it? Why did you do it? Uh, what interested you about the, the theme?
1: Um, so this is something I'm still figuring out, which is why <laughs> I did it, which is why I kind of do everything really. But yeah. in short, I spent 12 days hitchhiking and travelling by bus around Lithuania, visiting the country's remaining hundred or so synagogues, um, photographing them um and having a think about them really and what we should be doing with them in the 21st century and the end result will be an ebook, which is um, due to be out anytime now as soon as i finish writing it basically
0: mm-hmm. well we're going to talk a bit about why um lithuanian jews are so in- important in the history of the country but um first of all the the, the results you found that, that were shown in the photo essay that, that we ran were quite dispiriting in many ways as you mentioned there's over 100 former synagogues and you found various uses many of them were were simply abandoned or, or were left to to rot in in various towns but you also found uh, i've made a list here um some that had been turned into flats uh one that had been demolished to make way for a car park one that was used as a store for agricultural equipment um shops a catholic funeral parlor
1: yeah and um, a church
0: yeah exactly um so what, what was your general takeaway from the experience of, of doing this? Well, this, this, I, this journey?
1: as I said originally, the, the, I, was alre- I was already aware of these facts and what, the, why they were being used, but I didn't really know how I felt about it. And mm. it's really important to say that, that um, um, as I write about, if you read the article, in New York they convert synagogues into nightclubs and nobody really minds, and that's because there was a dwindling religious community in New York, whereas in Lithuania... The reason that all these synagogues are empty is because of the Holocaust. So there's a different kind of dynamic um, to why they're, they, uh, why they're empty, basically. So you have to kind of approach it from a slightly different angle. And it's very complicated. And you said that some are empty. I think it's 39 in total are empty at the moment. Some of them are falling down. And some of them are being used for weird purposes. Um, uh, strangely enough, I've reached the conclusion that I'm quite happy with the fact that they're being used even as churches or or whatever because it means that they're still surviving and they're not falling down. Mm -hmm. It is a little bit unusual to be confronted with these things. A couple of them are do-it-yourself shops, which is really bizarre. And if anybody knows anything about Jewish architecture, about synagogue architecture, there's a thing called the Bema, which is the bit in the middle where they read from the Torah. And Bema's famous for having four columns. And several of these Bema columns still exist, including in, where was it? Um, Somewhere in the northeast. There's a do-it-yourself shop with the Bema column still in there, which is very, very strange. So what was the original question? Uh, the
0: original question was, oh, my God, I forgot, I forgot myself. It was, um, what, what was your general impression about the fact that so many of these synagogues are being used for other purposes? Or okay, just, well, I think I've already answered that. The okay. other thing
1: is that more and more of them are being um, renovated and turned into places of memory, which is very positive.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What is the, the, the number of working synagogues today in, in Lithuania? That's
1: a very good question. Uh, probably three. There, there are two, so the two two that actually survived from before the war in Vilnius mm-hmm. and Kaunas. There's a new one in Klaipeda, mm-hmm. um, which is actually inside the former Jewish cemetery, and then they also in Panevėžys and Shole, they also have small Jewish communities where they um, celebrate Shabbat every Friday. But whether they're actually synagogues or not is hard to say. Again, it's really the the definition of a synagogue is very complicated. It doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean it's a building. Um, There's a thing called a minion, which is uh, uh, basically the the textbook definition of a synagogue is a place where 10 men gather for prayer. So that can be anywhere.
0: Okay, so it doesn't refer to a building in itself. Not necessarily.
1: There's Some people make a distinction between synagogues and prayer houses. So, for example, uh, uh, Vilnius was very, very famous before the war. Everybody says there was over 100 synagogues, but that's kind of not true. Mm. A lot of these were just rooms in buildings. Mm, because it's notable that from from the photos uh, in the, the back to shore
0: project that the buildings themselves are very varied they're very much different shapes different different locations um, they're not all maybe what someone who wasn't informed about the subject would think of as a synagogue
1: it's much easier to spot a church or a mosque that's for sure yeah mm. there's a real varying uh difference. some of them um some of them have been converted so you you kind of fall into thinking that they always look like that but some of them originally were they just look like wooden houses some of them are just uh, classical buildings basically and others have more religious overtones mm-hmm.
0: well um we'll come back to this but first of all i think for people who aren't really aware of this subject which is a really really fascinating one Uh, could you explain a little bit of what about what exactly a Litvak or a Lithuanian Jew is because it doesn't quite correlate with our modern idea of what the state of Lithuania is.
1: Well the only way I can do that is to say uh, to give you my own personal definition because it's something that everybody argues about so a Litvak is by definition a Lithuanian Jew and that's where we first get into difficult territory because we have to define what Lithuania is when people talk about Lithuania today, they think about the modern state. Mm. Whereas we go back several centuries, Lithuania used to be the largest country in Europe, the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. And that is kind of the definition of, of, of Lithuania to most Jews still today. So, for example, Chagall, uh, who was born in what's now Belarus, was technically a Litvak. Mm. This is the artist the Chagall, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, you'll find uh, Litvaks in southern Latvia, where you're from, you'll find them in northern Poland. You'll find them in Belarus, a little bit of Russia, and right down into Ukraine, as far almost as far as the Black Sea. Mm-hmm.
0: And you mentioned the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. This is very much connected with the reason why there have historically been such um, such rich uh, Jewish communities in this part of the world.
1: Well, there's the Pale of Settlement as well, which is the mm-hmm. other confusing thing. I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of the Pale of Settlement or the Pale, as it's called.
0: Um, well, we can, get, we can get into that in a moment, maybe. But uh, the, history, I mean... the history
1: of Jews is, is, a, is a history of expulsion. And mm. so one of the reasons why there were so many Jews in this part of the world is because so many of them were kicked out of central Russia. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't necessarily a choice that all of them came here to live. No, okay, okay. But as I
0: understand, originally at least many Jews were invited by, was it Gediminus, the, uh, the, grand, the Grand Duke? I think it had was Had a Gediminas. relatively tolerant attitude towards Jewish settlement.
1: Yeah, in the good old days when it was a tolerant multicultural society, which is sort of becoming again now. So yeah, mm. um, I, I, Giovinus probably knows the story better than I do, but um, basically um, one of the Grand Dukes decided that he wanted to invite the best, brightest, most capable um, people in Europe to come and resettle in Lithuania, and that's kind of where at least some of the Jews come from. There's, again, there's an argument about where the Litvaks originated from. I think there were two waves of migration: one from the west and one from the east. They spoke um, Yiddish, which is the Germanic language, so you can you know we can guess that there was a heavy influence coming from what's now Germany.
2: Mm-hmm. What
1: was the original question again? <laughs> Have to stop asking <laughs> this, Richard. Um, and
0: but even we were talking about how the idea of lithuania in the jewish context means something different from what it does our, our current idea of the state but even after the the modern state of lithuania was founded mm. in 1918 there was a very high proportion of uh, jewish residents right I, I don't know the exact figure but
1: well again this is a controversial yeah. um, thing because because lithuania was in the interwar period lithuania had vilnius missing so whether you count whether you count those Jews as Lithuanian Jews mm. or not, and then whether you count Belarusian and Ukrainian Jews or not, but it so the figure was between, I think, around one hundred and sixty and two hundred and thirty thousand, depending on which specific sort of geographical area mm-hmm. you want to focus on. Which is a substantial. Which is out of an overall population of about what three million? Uh, less than that, I think, at the time. Yeah, less
2: less than three million.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Um.
0: Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about your your other project that you mentioned you 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 run, which is the International Center for Litvat Photography. Yes. Uh, could you you've told me before, but could you tell me the um, story of how you came to found that uh, center? Uh,
1: it's it's a very long and complicated story, and like everything that I do, there was no planning. It just sort of all f- sort of things made themselves apparent to me. But I mean, I came to Lithuania sixteen and a half years ago. I'm not Lithuanian, I'm not Jewish. I didn't know anything about the history here and I became increasingly interested in Jewish history and culture. I'm a photographer by training. And um, what happened? How did it... it th- there, are, there are several things that happened. There was one um, particular moment. When I moved to Kaunas, i have been living in Kaunas for four and a half years, so I came to Kaunas, as you do, I found some flats to look at and I came to Kaunas for two days, booked into a hotel. This was in 2012, I think. And in the hotel on the reception desk, there was a uh, a city map published by the tourist information centre, i.e. a state publication, and it had a list of places to visit in Kaunas. And one of them was the Ninth Fort. And anybody who knows anything about Jewish history, the Ninth Fort was a mass murder site in the, during the Holocaust. And it has a little bit; of, it had a little bit of text, you know, about what you can see there in the history. And the Holocaust was completely omitted. And so that was one of the things that really triggered me on the journey that I'm on. Um, not driven by anger or anything like that. It was just to find out w- the reason why that specific piece of information was missing. So one thing led on to another. Then I became, I was already interested in um, the Soviet period at, through family photographs and I was working on a big project. And then I sort of reduced that to just uh, Litvax encounters after the Holocaust, which was a substantial community still left. And then um, one thing led on to another, and I, I was basically doing a PhD, and I hated it. And um, I, I was getting, I was on a, what do they call it, a scholarship. And I had, found this, myself in a situation, waking up every morning going, no, I can't do it. And I was sitting in a bar, most of my stories have a bar somewhere along the line. I was sitting in a bar with friends in Vilnius, and this was in, five, this was five years ago, 2013, where are we? No, four 2018
0: years. now.
1: 2000 yeah, five th- years. No, sorry, 2015, I'm lying. 2015, so three years ago, four years ago? Golly, my maths is terrible. So I'm sitting in a bar with friends, um, you know, telling them how terrible my life was, and they said to me, why don't you start an NGO? And that's kind of where it came about. And also, I'd been trying to work with local um, cultural institutions and universities and, and the Jewish community as well and not really getting anywhere. So we decided, I decided it would be a good idea to do something very, very independent and very, very different. So we have this organization now which has got a very strange name. We're still trying to figure out exactly what it is we do. We're almost there. Um, Yeah, and it's been going for almost three years now.
0: Because it is quite focused, isn't it, on the preservation of photos, collecting photos, and uh, it's, building up a.
1: It's partly a, that. It's, to, it's really more to do with the with with the photograph and where 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 a photograph can lead you. And mm. um, one of the things I like about photography, as opposed to other art forms, is that it's something that everybody can relate to. So, for example, we work in schools. If I go into schools and talk about art, then I've already alienated half the class at least. Mm. But if you go in and talk about photographs, everybody's got a phone these days. It's easier than ever to talk about photography. And there's something beautiful and magical about photographs that nothing else can compare to.
0: Mm. And it's interesting, for example, looking on the Facebook page of your uh, of your NGO, most of the photos are very much focused on everyday life in some sense. Yeah. They're, they're, they're photos of... you know. Um, people doing relatively ordinary things. And I know, having spoken to you before, you feel this is fairly important, that the, the history of Jewish life in Lithuania is not simply focused on one tragedy, which I think it often is, not uh, only in Lithuania. But in uh, well, yeah, countries. there's
1: two <laughs> things we're talking about here. One is about everything that went before the Holocaust, and the mm. other thing is that the Jews are, are unusual, um, I mean, unique, I think, in the world that, 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 that to be Jewish. I can become a Jew, I can become a Jew, I can convert to Judaism. Mm. And become religiously basically become a Jew and also you can have what's called an ethnic Jew we we'll, maybe we'll talk about ethnicity later I'm not sure whether we want to go there but you can be uh, ethnically Jewish and not religious so it's both uh, an ethnicity and a religion it's very very unusual and of course there is um, that's more of our interest we're not really interested in the even though I just said that um, I visited a lot of synagogues last year we're not that interested in the religious side of it more the everyday life and the fact that these people were just like you and me.
0: Hmm. And what is it you feel people don't always understand about this subject, everyday life? Um...
1: Well, in terms of, well, as I said before, we're working in schools at the moment. And one of the things that happens in schools is that with history, a Jovinus might agree with me, he might not agree with me. I'm, I'm not sure how long ago he was at school. But the, the, in terms of history of Jewish Jews living in Lithuania, there's not much. And generally you just learn about the Holocaust. So you have this situation where there's these people and you know nothing about them and all of a sudden they're killed. So um, people don't really understand anything. I and mean, this is changing, but in general, it's the, it's the sense of the, the other, this, this great thing called the other. And these kind of, this is kind of the root of all the problems that we're still facing at the moment. Our project is very much about memory. We're not interested in promoting contemporary Jewish life. We don't think there's ever going to be any kind of renaissance. Mm. It's just about respectfully remembering this huge diversity of people. So we have left-wing Jews, right-wing Jews, religious Jews, secular Jews, anarchist Jews, criminal Jews, saintly Jews, just like every other section of of community all over the world. It's a very Mm. diverse community.
2: I can agree with the uh, Richard because, uh, as we say, like the the history of Jewish community in Lithuania, or ex- for example in Kaunas, it stops uh, with the Holocaust actually, and the rest of it it's not that highlighted compared mm. to the Holocaust.
1: Yeah, mm. the Holocaust dominates the entire narrative, mm. and it is obviously quite an important subject. Mm. Well, that's for understandable reasons in many yeah, ways, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, of course. But yeah. it does tend to overshadow, and it also, it, it, it boosts the, or it bolsters the stereotypical image of the Jew as a victim, which is, of mm-hmm. course, ridiculous. Um, yeah, so that's one of the things that we do, is we try to remember the, so famously people say that the Jews lived here for 700 years. Yeah. And the Holocaust lasted for three years. So that's sort of 697 years that people aren't really aware of. So Mm. one of the things that we're doing. And when you go into a school, what exactly do you
0: you talk about? How do you get through to well last year we did
1: we're, we're, we're doing a new project this year it's basically based on the same thing but we go in I tell stories that kind of blow children's heads away so I talk about um, I, I show photographs and first thing I do is I show a photograph of a telephone directory from Calnus from 1935 which is just lists and lists of Jewish names it's the first thing it's a really good way of getting people to understand then i show a photograph of a gravestone in the jewish cemetery the old jewish cemetery in encounters of a lithuanian jew who died fighting for the lithuanian wars of independence so that's the first thing i do so it's about getting because people have these weird ideas inside their heads so you do that and it, their heads explode and they go what's all this about hang on i don't understand these are yes of course they were patriotic lithuanians They had lithuanian passports for god's sake so we do that and then we go into lots of different things and we tend to focus on Because there were so many Jews here, you don't even have to... You don't have to go, right, let's go and find a town where Jews live. You just go to a town and you know Hmm. that Jews live there in large numbers, up to to like 90% in some cases. And then we'll talk about lots of different things. We'll get kids to do writing, take photographs. We quite often walk around the town and look at buildings and the history of those. And as I... I think the most important thing to say is that we don't promote Jewish life or culture. We don't say that Jews are great. We have nothing to do with Israel, which often we get confused with being some kind of weird Israeli organisation. Israel didn't exist when the Litvaks lived here in large quantities. Mm. Um, what we do, basically, is we go into schools and we get kids and we talk to them and we basically open a little door inside their heads and we show them a big part of the world that they hadn't seen before and we let, just give them the opportunity to go and walk around it and, and explore it and that's it. We don't do any big follow-up work. We don't, you know, we don't make lists of our successes and our failures. Hmm. We failed on a lot of counts last year, but um, that's quite a good thing, and we learned from that. And this year, we're going to do a slightly different project. We're going to be working hmm. with um, time capsules, which is, and that ties in with the bi- other big project that we're doing, the Countess Requiem, which we might get around to talking about later.
0: I definitely hope so. Yeah, there's there's a lot I still would like to to talk about on that subject, but um, I just wanted to ask you about something that you mentioned. In the article you wrote for Deep Baltic, or the, the explanation of the photo essay, which is you said you were frustrated by the indifference on the part of Kaunas' political and cultural elite did I say to the subject. You did, yeah. I'm on record um, saying that. However, I was interested during the photo essay itself, you many times mentioned that you um, you're helped by local Lithuanians in the towns you visit, and also that people are very often very interested and very knowledgeable about this particular. Subject. So there does seem
1: to be that kind of. It's, dig- like, it's a subject that we've already touched upon. You can't generalize. Mm. There are good, there are good people, and there are bad people. And it doesn't matter mm. whether they're Lithuanian or Jewish or Chinese. So, but there is countless. Um, there is definitely um, an elite um, kind of running everything, and it can be very, very frustrating. We've had a lot of problems with mm. it. We're slowly getting through, but I'm not sure whether we ever will do entirely. Mm. So
0: well um Jovenis, i wanted to ask you as as a local do you feel that's a kind of accurate representation of, of most people's awareness of, of this particular aspect of lithuania's history do you think it's true that most people aren't fully aware of it
2: can say that but actually it's not that conf- that not that comfortable like theme to to talk about actually but but i know it's getting better and better i think mm. can say that it's it's that bad.
0: Mm. It's Wha- not comfortable because of the how brutal the history was.
2: Yeah, because it's very complicated. It's Like uh, also uh, uh, comparing with the partisan war after the uh, Second World War, it's also very complicated to talk about. There is mm. still it's much debate. Very,
0: about very mm. complicated. This was yeah. the the Lithuanian, the the Forest Brothers who yeah, who, exactly. who fought yeah.
1: against the, the Soviet occupation. Yeah. Mm. Okay. There, was good, there was good and bad in all of these things yeah. and the, the only thing that really needs to be done is for people to embrace that and to accept it and then to move forward and there's still too much people trying to defend bad things that happen because there are particular individuals in Lithuania who did very good things and very bad things and the bad things that they de- did tend to be sort of overshadowed or forgotten about or they justify the bad things because the good, they did good things as well yeah, and
2: how to reach that I think it's like you need to talk to talk about it and to discuss that They're facts. yeah it's really mm. simple
1: yeah it mm. might, it is painful and it's very difficult i understand that completely yeah but the, that's
2: how we move forward that's how
1: we move so forward yeah. the great tragedy about the holocaust in term, on, on this subject is that, that there were so many lithuanians who saved jews um extraordinarily brave amazing people but because the debate about the lithuanian participation in the holocaust is still something that people f- find very difficult to talk about by definition you can't therefore talk about the good things that happen so this this whole good history is obliterated because we can't talk about the bad stuff.
0: Hmm. Well this question of what is an appropriate and sensitive way, an accurate way to commemorate history is definitely something we'll come back to. Um, I just wanted just before we finish, uh, we take a break I wanted to ask Richard if you could talk a little bit more about um, the Conus Requiem which you mentioned, this this piece of music that has been composed and also about your work with the uh, shang synagogue.
1: Okay, you probably have to remind me again about the second question, but I'll get okay, started. Okay, that's the fine. First as I
0: understood, they were connected, but maybe, uh, I, I, maybe connect. I misunderstood. Everything connected. is connected, that's very true. Yeah, yeah, you
1: know, yeah, I don't say that as a hippie, it's just a <laughs> fact. Um, the Countless Requiem is a 75-year-long piece of music um, wow. that I commissioned in December 2015. I can't believe I'm saying this. There's a very good reason, incidentally, why there are no 75-year-long pieces of music around, because it's Pretty crazy thing to do. It's quite a long time. It's a, quite yeah. a long time. Mm. Um, and it came about through through photographs. I discovered a collection of 111 family photographs that um, had been smuggled out of the Countless ghetto by, at that point, um, an unknown family who realised that they were going to die. And I fell in love with these photographs and I managed to get them scanned and get them onto Facebook, social media, and we started uh, the process of identifying the family. And after about two and a half years, I think it was, we identified the family and we identified living relatives. The main woman in the photographs, who we now know was the woman who smuggled the photographs out of the the ghetto, Anushka Vashavskiene, fantastic name, um, was very, very musical, very, very eccentric, but very, very musical. She was a piano teacher when she was 14. She sang on Lithuanian radio. She made a record. 78, which we have access to, we have the recording of the she, she was singing in a choir. Um, so to cut a long story short, that that's why I thought it was appropriate to commission a piece of music, and the reason it's 75 years long was because was 2016, when it started, it was the 75th anniversary of the establishment of the Kaunas Ghetto. So um, that's the short story. The, the 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 piece is being composed by a young Ukrainian composer called Anton Dvtyarov who's an extraordinary human being. He studied church organ at the conservatoire in Kiev, but he looks like he should be riding a skateboard, and he does a lot of electronic music. He's just absolutely perfect. He's this amazing blend of serious and and not-so-serious, or modern, or however you want to describe it. Um, And it's in three movements. The first movement was was six-day live performance inside an abandoned synagogue in Kaunas. The second movement is taking place now. It's 1,082 Days of Silence. 1,082 days is how long the Kaunas Ghetto was in existence for. And the third movement starts in September 2019, and that will be an unbroken piece of music for 72 years, but um, with very interactive, very open source. And we've done side projects with this music, and we've given the the source material to electronic musicians in in Lithuania, and they've remixed it, so that will be part of that as well. And it was done inside the synagogue because we've been trying for the last... I can't remember how long now, 1,000 years, maybe 2,000 years, to try and take possession of this uh, abandoned building, not very successfully. Mm. And the idea is to bring it back to life as a place of memory and education and culture.
0: And this is in Shanchi,
1: is it? It's in it, Shanchi, which, is, which area... is the district of Kaunas Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, brilliant. Well, um, like I say, we're, we're going to definitely talk more about uh, all of these themes. I'm going to have to take a, a short break now. Um, please do stay listening, and uh, yeah, we'll be back after a little bit of music. Welcome back to the Deep Baltic Lithuania podcast where uh, today in Kaunas I'm joined by Richard Schofield and Gilvinus Rengselis. Uh, so I've just been having a conversation with Richard about uh, Kaunas' very, very rich Jewish heritage. But um, for the next part of the podcast, I'm going to focus and talk mostly to uh, Um The question I wanted to start with in asking about uh, Kaunas 2022 and some particular aspects of Kaunas' history is the slogan, Chosen, for Kaunas 2022 that you can see on the website is from temporary to contemporary. It's possible people who don't know very much about the history of the city would not entirely understand what that means and why that's so significant for Karnas. Uh Would you be able to explain a little bit for for listeners who may not know?
2: Yeah, sure. I'll try because I forgot to mention that I'm a historian. So. Oh well, that's very important. <laughs> that's my to job, mention, yeah, yes. to to answer this question. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, during the interwar period, Konas was a uh, uh, temporary capital of, uh, of of Lithuania because uh, uh, Vilnius was occupied. So the the government moved to moved to Konas, and uh, it happened like uh, uh, the city was unprepared to, to 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 get the title of of the capital. So uh, the huge. Uh, See the the huge or uh, a lot of things were done during the twenty twenty years period, like a lot of big uh, big things like architecture. A lot of buildings were uh, were built during that period, and uh, also the Kona's uh, uh, Kona's became a political, economical, and cultural center of of the whole state, uh, newly recreated state actually uh so, but it was always actually there is the interesting thing is that there is no official document about like uh that konas is uh the how to say the official uh capital of of Luenia. It said like only the government moved to Konas and it is uh just a temporary capital and Wherever it's gonna be possible, the, the government and, uh, the whole center of the state will move back to, to Vilnius, actually. So that's mm-hmm. why it's temporary. But, uh, after the, uh, Second World War, uh, uh, this, uh, title of, uh, uh, temporary capital became somehow, uh, the lost golden age, actually, of, of the history of Kona's as we say kuna has yes, the two golden ages one is the uh during the uh during the middle ages and the second one is the uh period of uh, contemporary capital no sorry not contemporary capital not but that's temporary now. capital yeah, yeah that's now capital. yeah but uh, but uh, it is uh it is like uh, kuna was still uh, looking back Uh, since that period it's always looking back uh, to that uh, golden age let's say and not moving further or it's Mm -hmm. uh i would say it's some kind of gap we are not crossing and we are still not moving as we can move like very quickly uh, looking forward to the to the future and making it happen actually
0: well i think we should probably just clarify for anyone listening who's not totally aware the city of Vilnius was in 1919 I believe there was a dispute with Poland yeah so the reason that Kaunas became capital was that um, for the next 20 years Vilnius or Vilno as it is in Poland was was effectively part of of the Polish state Um, and as you mentioned the city expanded a huge amount I think I read somewhere was it by as much as seven times the population increased Yeah why was it specifically that konas was chosen as the capital was there any particular reasons or as the temporary capital of the lithuanian state
2: i know as a historian i was reading some texts about the decision of uh, making konas uh, as a capital city i think uh, because of the uh, history of the 19th century and konas was uh, of the of uh, was a center of the Go- gober governor of uh, the whole konas region uh i think the infrastructure was already uh, good because of the fortress in konas because of the administration center so it was just easy to move that and konas has just a simple more uh, basis basic uh, infrastructure in, in in the city uh, otherwise there was also in the 19th century there was a debate between the two political movements one was um, how to say one was uh, uh christian democrats and uh, related uh, very much with uh, with the church and the other one was uh, uh more how to say uh, national and uh, related with Vilnius, so it was debates uh, about uh wh- who is the how to say the the best centre of of the ethnic uh, Lithuanian state. Is it Konas or is it Vilnius? Because it was said like Konas is more a uh, Lithuanian city uh at that moment and Vilnius uh, needs to move further with uh with making it more make it make in, making it more Lithuanian city. Because it was just a uh, small percent of Lithuanians living in in Vilnius, but also it was um, uh, quite the same situation with Kōnas before the uh, before the First World War. But still, uh, the uh, most of the Kōnas region around the city it was uh, populated by by Lithuanians mostly, mm-hmm. and uh, most of the uh, people were coming to to the city during the weekends during the um, uh church uh church days and that's mm. that's that's the thing
0: well as richard mentioned um i think historically most of the cities in lithuania have not been majority ethnic lithuanian yeah, until relatively exactly, recently yeah yeah well this kind of sense of um i don't know if rivalry is the wor- right word but contrast between the two main cities of lithuania vilnius and Kaunas, is a really interesting theme it Is something i'd like to come back to but um First of all, one of the things that Kaunas is increasingly known for internationally is its fairly remarkable stock of modernist and Art Deco buildings, which are very much connected to this period, the 20s and 30s, and also, as I understand, connected to the fact that the city had to increase so massively mm-hmm. in size due I to think, suddenly I think being the you, capital.
1: Uh, I just step in for a second, yeah, sure. and you Go keep ahead. using the word city when you're talking to talking about Carness in 1920. It wasn't a city; it was it was a town. Little yeah. Little yeah. It was a it's capital. You can't have bi- a capital town slightly bigger than a village. Yeah. <coughs> so okay.
0: The population at that time would have
2: been
1: what roughly? Juvenus would know that. Um, but still, there
2: is also debate or discussions about uh, what was the. Uh, was it like uh, a city-like or was it like a town-like city but uh, uh, some say that it was a village kind of uh, town actually but uh, I would say that uh, Kona's fortress or and when the whole uh, garnison of uh, Kona's moved to to the barracks and uh, stayed in Kona's I think uh, it was changing to the kind of City, like, but actually military, more military, like uh, town or or city. But it, uh, there was more, how to say, cultural life happening. Uh, there was a opera house built in the city, and also it was more, how to say, dynamic than it was before the uh, mm-hmm. the before the Kona's fortress mm-hmm. uh, happened. In and by
0: 1939, it definitely was a city.
1: Oh, without a doubt.
0: Yeah. So that's quite a remarkable change to have happened in a period of 20 years. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to ask a little bit more about the Mm -hmm. kind of modernist heritage. Um, It seems to me quite unusual in a way that a a state that is constructing almost a purpose-built capital would choose um, architecture that was actually quite cutting edge and quite radical for its time Mm -hmm. in many ways. Why was that, that this was chosen as the the architecture of the Lithuanian state?
2: Yeah, I like the... uh Kind of uh, one of the last articles about the uh, uh, Kona's architecture because uh, in February there's gonna uh, there's gonna be an uh, expo- exposition presented uh, in in uh, Vilnius National Gallery of Arts. It's gonna be about the uh, the title of the exhibition about the Kona's architecture is gonna be uh, architecture of optimism. So I like very much the the title of the exhibition and uh, in that uh, article, it, it it said that uh, uh, the whole modernist movement in architecture or whatever else, it has the social, some kind of social project inside. So uh, Kona's modernist project was to build a modern capital because uh, when capital moved to, to Konas it was not a modern and it was not a capital actually so you need to build that capital in Konas that it was a small town or small city let's say so the i think that the main project or the main social idea or the social project was to to build a modern capital in Konas during that 20 years and why the architecture was uh, chosen uh, as a how to say as a mm, visit card for 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 the presenting the modern capital because at that period i think when the modernist architecture came to to scene i think it was understood that uh, architecture is one of the Uh, one of the things to present the country its culture maybe also it was also very international style of architecture people were
1: building at the time it's Mm. almost as simple as that Mm.
2: but still we have uh, different movements of uh, modernists like Bauhaus, Art Deco in France, uh, Futurism in Italy, uh, Constructivism in Russia so uh, modernism has warriors uh, uh, faces, I think, mm. around the world.
1: It's interesting what you said, actually, um, about um, and it goes back to what you were saying a little bit earlier that it was when it was being built, and modernism kind of uh, it explains it itself. It was a city looking forwards, mm-hmm. whereas now, yeah, everybody's looking back. Yeah, to this city looking forwards, kind <laughs> of looking to the people looking at it. Yeah, as it were.
2: Yeah, so that's why the title of the contemporary capital is. The contemporary capital. Let's make it contemporary capital, like culturally, uh, architecturally. Uh, I know that every citizen of Kona's would understand that he lives and he is a part of that contemporary capital here in Kona's. Mm. So, uh, why the architecture was uh, chosen also as uh, one of the uh, main programs of of the whole project is uh, that. Uh, we understand that during that period, people of Konas uh, were building the city as a modern like city uh, filled with optimism and a bright future uh, and the, the whole architecture of Kona shows that it's the message of it and uh, yeah when
1: you look, it really yeah. is extraordinary mm. really is yeah. extraordinary.
2: So that's why we are taking this as, a, as example as moving further to the to the nowadays future. The other thing,
1: if I can just butt in Mm -hmm. for a second, and I've said this, I think I'm on record as saying this as part of the Counters 2022, is that it's very much an unfinished city as well. 1940 with the Soviet occupation and the Nazis Mm. came. It was never finished. And I think there's kind of work still to be done, and that's one of the things that we try to do is we try to get get the job done. I think it's time to start looking forward again.
0: Mm. Well, this is often... Usually, the case with uh, European cities of culture. They're chosen not simply because they're nice, attractive places to visit. They're usually chosen because there's this sense that they could do with attention. Yeah, they, they have they potential. Have, exactly. They have potential. They're the, implying that the situation right now is not perfect. What happens to Kaunas between 1939 and the situation now, where it, it clearly seems to have lost its dominance in Lithuania and in many ways the sense i get is that konas often has a rather negative image in lithuania why is that
2: i know somehow i can't explain i think uh, correctly or uh, in details but somehow uh, after 1990 konas lost somehow its uh, historical identity i think and it was like moving somewhere like a blind blind man and still, uh, that's why we uh, also have a program of uh, creating a Kona's myth or, or Kona's legend, modern Kona's legend, because we want to try to how to say to connect all the people of Kona's and to to create a modern myth of of Kona's mm. or this is say the, contemporary uh, identity of of the. Of the citizens of Konas.
0: This is, as I understand from the website, the mm-hmm. beast of yeah, Konas. Yeah. I'm not 100 percent sure what yeah. what what that means exactly.
2: It's about making a, a modern myth of Konas of or, or or the the legend, like most of the cities have, and using as a, a communication message and uh, making souvenirs of it and stuff oh. like that. But also, we with with that thing, we want to connect all the people from from the city to to make their own uh, but uh, common myth of or the contemporary identity of the city
0: hmm. so the sense is that right now the city lacks a myth or lacks any kind of narrative
2: yeah kind of not na- uh, it's lacking kind of narrative or identity actually let's mm. say well it kind
1: yeah. of i personally think this this creature thing is a bit ridiculous and of okay. course it does have a a A founding story, but it's mm. not one hundred percent Lithuanian, so there's possibly uh mm. subconscious reason for creating this monster because the truth about the founding of the city is a little bit uncomfortable mm. well, well, that's one, purely a theory incidentally. Mm. one
0: of the on the website at least the the kind of keywords or slogans for um the city of culture year all start with con so there's contemporary uh one of them is confusion. Which kind of alludes to this sense that I think you you've mentioned that yeah. uh, there are a lot of aspects of the history that aren't properly understood or that aren't um, yeah aren't, aren't appreciated in some way.
2: Yeah, so that's why we titled it as a confusion because uh, it's related with the, and all. Uh, both two programs are uh, related with the uh, confusion theme it's like uh, modernism for the future and um uh, 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 memory office that related uh, relates with the uh, uh ethnic communities that were living uh, historically in konas and the other one is the, for example, modernism architecture, because also there is a lot of buildings uh, abandoned or in the bad shape, in the bad condition. And uh, we are talking about that as a, how to say, a highlight of Kona's, but still uh, it's not showing that mm, message nowadays. It's not looking, looks like uh, as a, how to say, futuristic uh, thing mm. for us. So. Also, there is uh, why they, uh, these themes are quite common because, for example, uh, a lot of buildings in Kaunas during that period was built by the uh, uh, Jewish con- construction offices. Uh, so, and we are not talking about that, uh, for example. Uh We are talking about that uh modernist style in architecture as a Lithuanian thing, but for example, there was a lot of architects working uh from warriors and came to Konas after the war from warriors countries, for example uh Carlos as he was uh coming from Latvia there was a lot of uh Jewish uh architects or engineers. Uh, who were building those buildings, and they are also related with the with that architecture. So it's not only Lithuanian thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And what would what would the memory office be doing? Is this organizing events? Is this? publicizing information in some ways how is it going to to go about addressing this sense of confusion
2: yeah it it is uh let's say actual actualizing the uh the discussions and uh, uh talks about the uh, lost memory of uh, of uh, of kona's history and talking about the communities that uh, were living here in the past like uh, uh german community jewish community tatar community russian community Actually, yeah, uh, most of the talks are about the Jewish community because it was the biggest, uh, community in Kaunas, but still, uh, during the 19th century, it was also a big, uh, community of Russians because of the garnison mm-hmm. and because of the administration of, uh, Governor City. Also, there was, uh, quite also all the historical community of Germans, uh, since the medieval ages. Mm-hmm. Came here by ask uh, by uh, invitation of Gediminas uh, also and Vytovtas so mm, because not yeah no go ahead yeah so there is much to do and speak about that and most of the I think Kona uh, Kona citizens they are uh, forgot about those communities or so let's say they know uh, just uh, small bits of that history so one of the one of the works or uh, things uh, to do is to, let's say, to try to write uh, the to say popular history about the communities in Kaunas and to present those uh, till the 2022. Like about the Jewish community, about the Russian community, about the uh, German community and to make that book uh, that popular as uh, every Kaunisian would have that in the bookshelf that book so uh-huh.
0: okay very interesting thank you very much um, so we're going to take another uh, short break uh, please do stay with us in the third part of the podcast the third and last part of the podcast we'll be talking a bit uh, where Conus can go from here how it can uh, address these historical issues and take them into the future okay thank you please do stay
1: listening
2: Yes, you think it does I wish I wasn't so cold and reserved it's all so pointless yet I still try to prove
0: myself wrong never... welcome back to the deep baltic lithuania podcast where I'm joined by Richard Schofield and Gilvanus Rinczalis and we've been a uh, having a very interesting discussion about Kaunas' uh, history, uh, various aspects of its history, its Jewish history, the modernist history after World War One, And now we're going to turn to where Kaunas is going now, because uh, one of the reasons we decided to do this podcast in Kaunas, as opposed to Vilnius or another city in Lithuania, is because of it being recently awarded the uh, title of City of Culture for 2022. Um, One thing I don't think we mentioned before, maybe we did, was that uh, both of my guests here today are ambassadors for the city in 2022. And maybe you'd like to explain a little bit about what that means in practice, what do you have to do?
1: Would you like me to start?
0: I'd love that. Yeah, please do, Richard.
1: Um, So yeah, I'm an ambassador for CalNAS 2022. What that means is a very good question. I think we're just here to, to raise the profile and a lot of things that we do or that I do, I tag on social media, Counters 2022, and just raising awareness, really. Also, our NGO is uh, an official project partner, so we're very much involved in, in the, the project and where we can take counters. We have a problem in Lithuania at the moment. Everybody's leaving. So uh-huh. this is one of the things on my mind at the moment is how to get people either back or to stop them from leaving. And I think we can do it. Mm-hmm. With the help of people like Venus. <laughs> yeah, and the
2: the I'd say the the thing how to show that, I think it's to to show that Kaunas is a dynamic city and a lot of interesting things are happening at the moment at the city. I already heard from my friends, uh, maybe just a small community of uh, friends that mm some some people are thinking about coming back from Vilnius to Konas because uh konas is a comfortable becoming a comfortable city to live in uh the funny thing is that uh historically there is actually official quotation but uh, i still can't remember i'm uh uh searching for the source of that quotation but there is uh one uh one people who said like uh, I think that there was uh, related with uh uh moving the university from Konas back to Vilnius uh, and uh it was said like from one professor I think that uh a lot of uh did did want to go back to Vilnius because uh Konas already was a comfortable city to live in before the second world war actually so think we need to make it uh great again actually at the moment and it's gonna be
1: very topical uh, yeah uh, make Kona <laughs> great again that's definitely uh,
2: <laughs> so it, and it's gonna be the place where people want to stay and to come back actually from from the from abroad or from the from from villas because yeah, there come is back, yeah. please i mean th-
1: really simple thing for me that i always mention and i tell people i'm telling family when i was at home last last week i live in a i rent a nice apartment in the old town i have a garden lovely i pay 200 euros a month mm. like come now what are mm. you still Not doing in places in the uk you what are you still yeah. doing yeah. in london why and and we have a hub we have an amazing airport with lots of rhino flights it cost me my ticket back cost me 10 pounds mm. to fly here it's two hours away
0: so you think there is potential for conus as a kind of uh it
2: was a, a always attractive a potential for people yeah but uh sometimes the city uses it and sometimes the the, the city an, loses like
1: it like i've already said it's an, like for me it's an unfinished project and the yeah. the, the, the job is to finish yeah. what was started in the interwar period and we're not quite nobody's quite that's the fascinating thing nobody's quite sure what that what that mm. end point yeah. is going to look like and do you feel
0: because but i think Jovan is are your, you're from Kaunas originally aren't you you've lived here yeah, all yeah, your life. And exactly. Richard, you've yeah. lived here for how long?
1: I've lived in Kaunas for four and a half years, Lithuania for almost 17. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so long enough you can feel kind of a bit like a, mm-hmm. a local.
1: I can't say I'm a <laughs> Kaunietis, but... Um, yeah.
0: yeah, approaching it. I perhaps.
1: almost feel at home. Mm.
0: Well, I, I, I first visited Kaunas in 2012, and my sense, even as someone who just visits now and then, is that it has changed a lot during that period. Would both of you agree with that? Do you think the city is changing? And if so, in what way? In
1: certain ways it's changed. We yeah. have two Indian restaurants. <laughs> um, that's pretty
0: That's a good change, a positive change, yeah.
1: We have a, well, talking about India, we have a population of over 500 students from India. Mm-hmm. We, I walked here this morning with Will to come and do this and we dropped off at, there's an Indian shop just around the corner from here, and that's very interesting. The guy who, he's an Indian guy who runs it, he speaks fluent Lithuanian, he yeah. came here to study several years ago, um, fell in love with Lithuania and bought a shop that's pretty cool isn't it very cool and that would that was unthinkable five six years ago mm. um five six years ago people if you said you were going to count people would say don't go it's dangerous
2: yeah exactly mm.
1: um and that was not entirely true but certainly in the suburbs you had to be a little bit careful especially mm. at and night. these
0: were people from vilnius who had this idea about Kaunas because we, we kind of touched upon this previously um in the 90s, I believe it was quite strongly associated with the, with the Mafia in particular. Mm-hmm.
1: Organised crime, yeah. But yeah. well, it's still here, but not quite as much as there was. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the what's called the Morose culture, the tracksuits.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do you want to explain a bit about that?
1: Um, well, I, I, to to an, anybody from Britain, it would be, the best equivalent would be a chav, basically. Mm-hmm. It's men in tracksuit trousers with short hair and lots of black clothes, mm-hmm. driving cars. And, uh, and that
0: scene is more associated
1: trouble. with Kalnus than other cities in Lithuania. Uh, Good question. I think when I first came here, they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, not so many now. In fact, they're mostly in London, ironically. Um, or they decided to go out and buy some orange trousers and mm. grow up. Um, bit of both, really. Some orange trousers. Yeah. Is
0: that associated with growing up?
1: Well, just um, when honestly, when I first came here, almost every single male wore black. Right. Simple as that. Black shoes, black trousers, black shirt. Mm-hmm a song about that isn't there black hat you know the whole thing and so it's become well literally more more a more colorful place much easier to express your identity really
2: uh, I have also one impression of uh, I think from the half a year before but uh, I was sitting in the bar and uh, around me there was a, a guy from local gallery uh, the guy from friends That came here just uh, to visit Lithuania. I think not for the first time, but uh, he's traveling also photographing uh, things and there was on the one on the other side there was uh, a I think the guy from Indonesia and he's a street artist and He also fell in love with corners and he's uh, staying here. I'm not I'm not sure how long but He wants to stay here for a while and he likes the city very much and he's painting a lot of like street art here in Kona. So during that evening I felt like some kind of, I don't know, there is uh, quite a city where people are. Coming here,
1: ah, mm, yeah, it's cosmopolitan. Yeah, my favorite, uh, s- my favorite story is when I was at the bus stop. This is about three years ago. I think I've told you this before. And there were two. There was a black guy and a black woman at the bus stop, and they didn't know each other. And I thought um, everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm.
2: okay. I can well feel the. I uh, think the ahead. the 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 most uh, m- the most interesting thing uh, actually for me that the you can feel the changes, the dynamic of the city that is happening now. Mm. It's you actually have well, to choose where to go in the evening yeah.
1: before it was like you went to the place that you went to or you didn't go out mm. and okay. now you kind of have to choose or you. Yeah.
0: well it's interesting that both of you have focused on the idea of Kaunas becoming a more cosmopolitan or kind of multicultural city very slowly and a lot of what we've been talking about is how multicultural it was in the past well, I think yeah. you've both spoken about this but it has certainly in recent decades been seen as the Lithuanian city in that Compared with the other two major cities of Lithuania, I think Vilnius has a very large Russian and Polish population. Klaipeda, which is the third city, has also a very large Russian population. And oh, Calumas historically is- German. They yeah, know, absolutely. Remember. But I'm talking about in the last the, in war, the last yeah. few decades. I don't think there are a lot of Germans. Well, as we've already now.
1: said, there were there weren't many Lithuanians living in Kaunas a yeah. hundred years ago. But no, the, I think the the the, the 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 Lithuanian that people mm. are talking about is that you can't argue that the, sort of historically this is where the the original tribes that created the Lithuanians. Sure. This is the the region. That
0: no, absolutely. That, that that's going into into history. I, I suppose I'm talking about the last few decades that Kaunas is I think 95 or more than that Lithuanian Lithuanian speaking.
2: More than eighty. More than eighty.
0: More than eighty. Okay. But again, that's so,
1: misleading because there's, there's quite a large Russian community here, but they all speak Lithuanian.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Which is different from in,
0: in Vilnius, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm.
1: You don't. You don't. It's very the things that you wouldn't notice unless you knew Lithuanian quite well. If you go to the market here, everybody speaks Lithuanian. Mm-hmm. If you go to the market in Vilnius, you don't hear Lithuanian. Mm-hmm. You hear Russian and Belarusian and Polish mm-hmm. mostly. Mm-hmm. Okay. But well, at the same time, it's very very multicultural yeah and that that is as you already touched upon that was the foundation of the lithuanian state came from this great invitation and it, it was built on this multicultural bedrock Yeah, and it's happening again so if you're a true lithuanian patriot you should embrace multiculturalism
0: absolutely and that's that's very interesting and very ironic in that lithuania is now the least multicultural of the baltic states in that uh well, I think you can debate how multicultural Latvia and Estonia are, but um, certainly the minority groups are much larger there. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, I wanted to you've been talking about people coming here to live and saying what a positive thing this is that people are coming from different countries. But clearly one of the aims of a city of culture must be to promote tourism. Um people coming for a weekend or for a few days or so on. And as you mentioned, Richard, there's there's uh, Ryanair flights are quite quite a large there's number a hub, of destinations yeah. from Carnival, mm-hmm. yeah. Um what do you think could attract uh, people to Kaunas as tourists? I notice from, as I mentioned from the twenty twenty two website, they are very much pushing the modernist architecture as the main thing. Not, for example, Kaunas is a very very pretty nice old town as well, and that's not the focus quite as much. Do you think they think that this is this this is something that could draw people here for it draw it, people it that are interested?
1: People? Yeah. Which is a, a relatively limited number it's a, of people it's I suppose, who are seriously interested yeah. Yeah. and it's not like it's not Florence, everything's a bit scruffy. Mm. you have to really appreciate the architecture to, to, to get it because yeah so many of these buildings are s- such a mess that mm. if you don't if you've just come in to look at pretty buildings you're going to be disappointed mm. but if you're really into the architecture then you will mm. appreciate it but it is definitely one. Jewish history is obviously something that needs to be focused on more that will draw in a lot of people.
2: I think uh, what works with the tourim- uh, tourism is uh, when you're making, how to say, or uh, uh, making people to stay longer here, not for only one day or yeah. two days. So uh, to do that, I think you need to create a kind of package mm. to, to to keep uh, people stay here for, for some time.
1: That's a good point, actually. And the countless capital of culture is not just about the city it's about Kaunas, the yeah. region as well mm. so it's kind of, a, I've already used the word hub it's a hub, Lithuania yeah. is a small country it's, mm. it's Kaunas is very central you can, you can promote it as a place to, s- mm. to base yourself
0: And for people who aren't aware of what else there is in the Kaunas region what kind of other interesting things for people visiting could Come and find to? out <laughs> Okay
2: yeah, It's a nature and actually you can just just uh, feel the uh, l- Athenian countryside like in f- 50 kilometers away maybe oh. in some parts so
1: we have uh, kadine mm. which is uh, how many kilometers away is Cadine? 50 50? 50 mm-hmm. 50 kilometers which is nothing that's mm. 30 miles or so, so it's a very pretty town way. as well nice it's white. it's 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 the in terms of multiculturalism it's probably the Place famously, the w- the population was about fifty percent Scottish until mm. mid to the end of the nineteenth century. Yeah, for so. example, as a Lefina,
2: I can't imagine actually if I would be I wouldn't be a historian. I couldn't imagine like uh, sc- Scottish people like living in Lefina. What's what's the reason
0: actually? Yeah. But yeah. I'm assuming it was merchants at the time. Um, Yeah, it was
1: some people confuse it and think that it was religious persecution in Scotland. I don't think there was much of that. It was business. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not something I would have guessed at all from visiting. I I went there about nine months ago, and I didn't know that until you told me the other day. They're
1: pushing it. They're promoting it. The main hotel is called the Grey Hotel, named after a famous Scot who lived there. You quite often bump into somebody with ginger hair. Yeah, because it's...
2: It's already happened in the 16th, 17th century, so long ago.
0: Okay. Well, a fascinating subject. Many, many fascinating stories in Kaunas. Um, I wish we had more time to talk about the Scots of Lithuania, but unfortunately we don't. We're going to have to um, round off there. Thank you very much to my guests, Richard Schofield and Gilvinus Rinchlis. Thank you also to Adas uh, Titovas. Is that the correct pronunciation? It's- these of us for all of his help with recording Uh, thank you also to the band silver pieces whose song cold you can hear at the start and end and during the breaks of the program Um, just a reminder that if you would like to listen again to our first podcast which came from Tallinn and was focused mostly on estonian identity that is still available online um, but for the moment from Kaunas thank you very much thanks for listening uh, next month we will be in Latvia uh, we're still confirming whether this will be in Riga or in Liepaja, but either way should be very interesting so please do join us then okay thank you very much goodbye Baltic Podcast. Lietuva.